Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at Hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. All right, everyone. Uh, for our tour portion today, uh, it is a double portion. So in this case, it doesn't always be a double portion. This happen- happens to be. So in this week's Torah portion, it's uh, Tzaria and Mitzora. So those two portions combined together include, uh, obviously, the, the, uh, uh, the Leviticus chapter, chapter 12 and 13, which is normally, normally Tzaria, and then 14 and 15, which is Mitzora. So we're going through Leviticus 12 all the way through Leviticus 15. And typically, and this, as is not uncommon, uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff in here. Some of it may seem gross, but it's not. <laughs> uh, there's interesting stuff here. There is a whole lot more here in these four chapters than I think I will even pretend to cover today. Uh, I have notes for all of it, but reality is there's a whole lot here. Uh, the nature of uh, what these diseases and things are, uh, how to handle them, how to deal with them, uh, as well as uh, the moral and uh, spiritual imagery we receive from these diseases and the, and the descriptions regarding them. This Torah portion is broken up in my notes into four separate topics. Yeah, it's a tedious section. I get that. We all, you know, the joys and happiness of contaminations, right? <clears throat> it has its pluses and it has its minuses, right? That's the general idea. So that was uh, Leviticus chapter 12, 13, 14, and 15. It's a whole lot of reading regarding uh, things you can and cannot touch and uh, for different uh, conditions that your body may be in. Uh, as you note, as I mentioned before, this is two combined Torah portions. Uh, the Mutsura, which is the second portion, which was a portion uh, 14 and 15, discussed uh, the cleansing across someone who is, who is ill or has, has, has some kind of disease on them that they're trying to heal from. And of course, uh, the Tazara was, chapter you know, 12 and 13 discussed the actual nature of the, of the conditions that may require a cleansing. I mentioned before, I, there's a whole bunch of stuff in here and there's no way I'll cover through all of it. I'll do my best to cover as much as I can. Uh, reality is there's, there's more here than I have even pretend time to cover. So before I go to my spiel, if there's anything you want to ask now, ask it, because there's a good chance I won't get to it. Um, I mentioned before I broke this thing up into four separate sections. Uh, I don't know if we'll get through all of them, but I covered at least two of them today if I can, and we'll see how see what happens. So any comments or questions so, so far before we begin regarding all this stuff we just read about, you know, bodily flows and whatever else is happening. If you have a question, unmute yourself if you can, and then uh, we can go from there. Ann, Myrna, do you have questions? I have nothing yet. All right. I have none either. All right. This is a 
a condensed outline of what we're going to cover. Uh, there's, well, I'll pretend that I can cover all this. I don't know if I will or won't. Uh, Leviticus, Tazaria, and Mitzorah, this is, this is on your screen, those of you who don't have a screen, uh, it is an outline. So basically, we have the reproduction section, which discusses uh, obviously having children, as well as cycles and emissions we have, as far as you, you, for, for sexual encounters, as well as uh, menstrual cycles or things of that nature. That's broken up into its own category within inside our two Torah portions. And then we also have the the, the, the extreme cases, somebody who is beyond uh, their normal cycles, beyond the omissions of diseases, that we'll hopefully we'll get to as well, I'll talk a little about them. And then we have the section of the lepers, or the, the different the diseases, the scabs, the scars, things of that nature. Uh, that which, in the leper section, there's a whole lot of descriptions as far as colors of deep, this color, red, greens, whatever, different reds or streaks of different colors of hairs and stuff of that nature. A reality is, uh, me personally, I am not a, I'm not a physician of a form, and I will not pretend to try to diagnose any of those descriptive terms, because although most of our English Bibles translate all as leprosy or lepers, uh, it is not a fair uh, translation, and that lepers, leprosy does not quite uh, fall, at least the descriptions don't fall into normal category of leprosy, uh, meaning that leprosy may be included amongst them, but leprosy is not the only thing that can cause all these various skin conditions. So leprosy is, is, a, is a generic, uh, fear-filled type of term that was very, was, was very dangerous until like maybe 50 years ago when they started printing discovered its, its cure. But uh, anyhow, so instead of discussing the natures of the different diseases, the conditions as far as what colors they all are and how to diagnose them, it's not my uh, understanding to do so. I will instead go through the, all the various examples and understand how God uses those diseases in, in within some of our, 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 our entire Bible actually includes uh, Messiah's time. And then at the end, if I have time, which I won't, I'll go through the cleansing process and the symbolism that are used in the Mitzorah cleansing for both the body as well as the house. It makes sense. Hopefully it makes sense. So our first part is reproduction section. So in Leviticus 12, Verses two through five, it says this. And mind you, this is a, a different uh, wording of what I just read, but I'll, I'm going to read this out to you uh, so you can follow it. So, Leviticus 12, verse two through five, it says, When a woman gives birth and bears a male seed, then she, she should be unclean for seven days. At the days of her menstruation, she should be unclean. On the eighth day of his, the flesh was forced, she should be circumcised. Then she should remain in the bundle of her purification for 33 days. She should not touch any constituted thing consecrated thing, sorry, uh, nor enter the sanctuary until the days of purification are completed. But if she bears a female seed, then she shall be unclean for two weeks as an administration. spelled that word. Uh, and she shall remain in the blood of her purification for 66 days. Okay, so in this basic section, uh, it is normal human instinct to combine together. So the seven days plus 33 is 40 days long for the male. And then the two weeks plus six, six is 80 days long to female. There's a reason why the Torah does not combine, say, well, she, she's, she's unclean for, for 40 days for male and 80 days for female. It breaks it apart this way on purpose because there are two different categories. So whether male or female, the first week for male, first two weeks for male, uh, she is separated, separated in, in the form of it is the same as if her cycle for menstruation cycle is active. And of course, obviously, you can't know a man. I can't touch anything that, 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 that is uh, 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 holy. 
uh, she has to be separated unless she touches is unclean. After that time period, for example, for male, after the first week, the, the balance of the remaining 33 days, uh, she's contaminated, but the things she touches are not contaminated anymore. Does that make sense? So the first week she touches it, uh, she sits on it or whatever it would be, that's classified as a contaminated item. After that time period, that is not the case anymore. After that first week, then it's what she touches not contaminated, but she herself is not to be inside or partake of anything that is holy because that is still supposed to be separated from her. So it's a it's a two-class system as far as its initial purification goes on uh, for the first week. It's a male, at which everything she touches is just like her menstruation cycle. But after the first week is completed, what if she touches not contaminated? However, she herself is still within her contamination period, so she can't nor man still. Well, I'm sorry. I should clarify that. Certain Jewish sects says she can. I don't think she should. <laughs> I think I, I, I disagree with that interpretation. So I, I, my interpretation is she still can't know a man, as well as uh, she's not to consume or be partaker of anything that is holy or part of the sanctuary. She can't eat holy food. Like the wife of, of, of Levi, uh, she can't consume some of the holy, holy there are holy components. They're consecrated things. Now, don't ask me the whole, well, the guy is, you know, boy, it's 40 days or, or twi- the twice long for the female versus the male. Don't ask the question. I'm not going to answer it because I don't know. I don't know why. It just is. Um, I accept the fact that female bodies are far more complicated than male bodies are. Um, they just plain are. Uh, there, there is more unknown about the female body than there is males. And so I'm not going to pretend that I understand things that I don't understand. The reality is, yeah, a female child gets quite as twice as long. Whatever the reasons are, whether it's hormone levels, bodily issues, whatever, they're all guesses. I'm not going to pretend to even try to guess them. What was that, dear? Yeah, my wife said that women are just playing better than men. It's just how it works. <coughs> so that's, that, that's fair. Uh, now, the, the, the explanation which I just gave for Leviticus 12, verse four, 2 through 5, is expounded upon, it helps, it is clarified in the nature where it's described in the Vase 15, which we just read, about uh, the nature of ours, what she touches, what she doesn't touch, that kind of thing. It's broken up from the, the Vase 15. So that's basically the reproductive section for females. Um, now, as I mentioned before, everything that she, this is the second, second page here, it's uh, Vase 15 versus, well, 20 to 23 actually is where it, where it narrows down. This is a section which refers to the very first week or two weeks, if it's a male or female, that it, that it, that it narrows down to. This is with a category where she is not such anything, essentially, that may without making it impure. It specifies in verse 20 onward, it says, everything which she lies or menstrual impurity should be unclean. This The, the childbirth is category included in this. And we know that it has to do with uh, the cleansing process, how she gets out of this process is, is separated out. This is why, how, we, how these are tied together, how we can figure this part out. Anyway, uh, she should be unclean. Anyone who touches her bedding should wash his clothes, bathe in water, unclean till evening. Whoever touches the thing which she sits upon and should wash his clothes, bathe in water, unclean till evening, which should be in the bed or on the things she, she is sitting, she touches it, he should be unclean till evening. So basically, we have this understanding based in Leviticus 15 regards to reproductive things, such as semen, which is, is to be included in the semen section as well, which I think is, I didn't copy it here. Anyway. The semen emissions or menstrual emissions, um, the process of cleansing from those things is washing. Go wash yourself. Go take a bath. Shower. 
go wash your clothes. Uh, it's pretty basic. We do that now anyway, because it's proper. It's it's proper hygiene. Uh, this that there, there is a, uh, a section here as, you, as a verse twenty four, uh, the Jinx fifteen. It says uh, the last, which I want to point out to you because it's it's a, it's an interesting concept uh, that Ezekiel eighteen talks about. So man actualized with her so during her menstrual impurity is on him. He should be unclean seven days, and every bed in which he lies should be unclean. So essentially, her menstrual impurity falls, essentially spreads over to him. So he just takes on the pot and puts it upon himself during that time period. Um, and that is, Ezekiel 18 notes that it's a, a measure of what is righteous as a man who chooses not to do so. To not, have, not know his wife uh, during her menstrual impurity. Uh, identifies a one of the few nine examples. These nine examples given in Ezekiel 18 uh, discusses what measure is used. That's one of them measuring what is a righteous man. So men continue such. <laughs> Pretty basically, right? Not not shocking there, but hey, it's, it's not that hard. It's just a few days. Anyhow, um, so, so the, the, this is the, has to do with uh, obviously the reproductive cycle. Uh, as mentioned before, the remaining time period. The 33 days, she's a male or six female. The things she's not supposed to touch into the holy nor into the sanctuary until day's creation completed. Uh, not only she touches is unclean anymore, like the first weeks it was, uh, she is, she's still not to know her husband during the time period. That's my interpretation of the understanding. But uh, she's allowed to consume uh, regular food. Uh, she is not such holy stuff, nor is she to enter the sanctuary. And bottom line, the goal is so she doesn't die. That's the objective. God doesn't want you to die. If you take something upon you that is not yours, you essentially you've taken that that was set aside not for you, and you've touched it, you've, you've consumed it. That was not God's intent. So separate yourself accordingly. The reproductive part is pretty basic, pretty straightforward. Nothing too shocking about the reproduction section. Uh, now, what I have a question for you. Not that you have to answer, but just think about it. Uh, at the cleansing of the reproductive process. So after she she, she gave birth to either male or female, uh, the time period obviously being different to two of them. In verse six of Leviticus eleven, it says, "When the days of creation are completed for a son or for a daughter, she should bring the priest at the doorway to the beating a one-year-old lamb for a burnt offering, a young pigeon or turtle dove for a sin offering. He should offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her, and she should be cleansed from her flow of her blood. This is the law for who bears a male or female." She cannot afford a lamb, that she'll take two turtle doves or two young pigeons, the one for the burnt offering and the other for sin offering. The priest shall be atoned for her, and she'll be clean. This is strange. I say strange, because look at this. She gave birth to a child, so now she has to offer a burnt offering as well as a sin offering. As if, you know, we ask ourselves, what, what sin did she commit? And as it says in verse 7, he shall offer the Lord and make atonement for her. So, she has, she has, or is obviously her husband is including this because it's a, it's a combined thing normally. Um, so in this process, that a sin offering is, is required to be offered as well as to make atonement for her. Is what we ask ourselves: What did she do? What was wrong? What was what was what? Why is there a sin offering? Why is there atonement for her? Why is this not the same as a normal menstruation cycle, which is just wash herself and she's clean? Well, it's interesting to note that, but the Bible seems to accumulate certain things. Stuff that is uncommon or not frequent, it connects in one category versus stuff that is common or is frequent. So, for example, a female is an adult, a human female, 
does not give birth every month. It's not, so it's not a common event. Uh, so therefore, it is not classified under the menstruation cycle, which is in every month a regular event. The giving birth process may happen if you do it correctly. <laughs> every at the earliest ten months, but usually in a twelve or, or further apart. It's less frequent. So it is unusual or uncommon, and blood flows attached to it or connected to it. A loss of blood, I believe, is probably probably due to the idea that life is in the blood. That's my personal religious opinion. That somehow, because blood and life are so associated with each other, there is a, is a general connection. That's my opinion about the, the reason why. Uh, anyway, regarding anything that's uncommon or blood flow that's uncommon or attach, attached to the loss of a blood, it is a it is grouped in the category of it is uh, it requires atonement or cleansing of. So, for example, if you murder someone or you have some injury sore or somebody dies, some sin you've done that affects your life affects your, your 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 or somebody else's life or affects the life of an animal for that matter too um there is there's association of what is clean versus what is unclean with inside that category so we have blood flowing that is not common in the form of either a child being born uh or some other disease happening to it it requires some form of a payment or some of a, a correction or restoration for that person the tour just broke up that my hands up Oh, go ahead. The hand up? I didn't hear that. I didn't see. Who was it? Nobody has that? Yeah, it was uh, Larry. He has his hands up. Oh, go ahead, Larry. <clears throat> yeah, I was, I, I was noticing that even though we, we know that being unclean is not a sin, it's kind of interesting that there's still a sin offering at the end of it. Right, right. Unclean is a common thing. We become unclean. It just happens. We're humans. Uh, so unclean is a common event. But this is an offering to restore us from our uncleanness to our clean, our purest state so that we can reattach or reconnect up or re-commune with God, so to speak. So in the case of this instance, this uncleanness or this, this, this flowing of blood, which is a common event, common meaning the form of it can happen, not common as it happens every month, as a menstruation cycle does, but a common event that it can happen part of most females' lives. Uh, this is something that God has to do or to restore yourself to our state of being with or being at one with God. It's a requirement the Torah gives us. We can debate the reasons why, but the reality is that's what God said, so that's what we do. This is obviously separate from the menstruation cycles uh, or semen emissions, which are usually associated with just bathing and just clean yourself Hopefully that makes some sense. That there is a, a, a connection that Torah seems to make between uh, this, this particular contamination and requiring you to be rebound up to God. Now, we have similar offerings associated with abnormal discharges. This is why, why these are connected or somehow attached. Uh, in Leviticus 15, when there's abnormal discharge, and mind you, so childbirth it's not, a, not a, a frequent occurrence. It's not a, 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 a disease. It's just not a frequent occurrence. So non-frequent occurrences are grouped together here within inside of our Torah. So non-frequent occurrences, including also abnormal discharges, are non, not frequent. Well, hopefully they're not frequent. Uh, I would hope that we live that way. Halfway decent, halfway healthy lives. So children, male and female, are all grouped in the same category. In Leviticus 15, verse 28 through 30, it discusses the non-frequent or the abnormal or the strange occurrences. 
and how that God wants them adjuster taken care of. They have certain similarities, not identical to the childbirth cleansing process, but certain similarities. So we understand there is some type of connection. This is Leviticus 15, verse 20. I'll start in verse 25. It says, if a woman has discharged her blood many days, not the period of menstrual impurity, or she discharged beyond that period, all the days of impure discharge should continue as though her menstrual impurity, she is unclean. We'll pause there for a minute. Um, stop there a minute. For verse 25, note, this is, a, as it points out, this is a separate event from menstrual impurity. Does that make sense? So when it discharged many days, not at the period or not at the same time or not in line with or not consistent with her menstrual impurity. Because note, some women have discharges that last three or four days for menstrual cycles. Some discharges last eight or nine. This is referred to an event that is not attached to that event. That event is a normal cycle event. This is something that's separate from it. So, for example, maybe you have a menstrual cycle, and then you're you're fine for three or four days or a week, and then it comes back again. If that's what's up with that, or, or some 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 event occurs, you have a, a regular or semi regular bleeding that comes out. Something's off. Something's strange. What is this? This the details that we're discussing in those instances: the the abnormal or the strange events. Verse six says, "Any bed she lies all days of discharge should be like." Like to her, the bed of administration, and everything in which she sits should be unclean, or uncleanness at the time. Uh, likewise, whoever touches them shall be unclean, and shall wash his clothes and bathe in water be unclean till the evening. When she becomes un- when she becomes clean for a discharge, she'll cover herself off seven days after she become clean. Now we course, now we have our offerings. Verse 29 says, On the eighth day, she takes herself two turtle doves or two young pigeons, bring them to the priest, the doorway to the meeting. The priest shall offer one of her sin offering and the other for burnt offering. So the priest shall make atonement for her behalf of the Lord because of her impure discharge. This offering is very similar, though not identical, very similar to the offering given for a child being born. So it appears that the child being born is along the same category or same, same area or same sequence as a, an abnormal discharge that is not part of the tradition cycle for him. Uh, and that's to, hence why they're why they're connected. There is reasonable to believe, right to the bottom, that unusual discharges or flows. This should include miscarriages, diseases or infections, or some extended strange cycles that are never ending. Are viewed similarly as childbirth is viewed. Does it make sense as far as how our Torah views it? So, also in the next fifteen, the tail in the chapter, it discusses that. Uh, the menstruation cycle and similar flows are separate things from the abnormal discharges. This is verse 31. It says, that she should keep the sons of Israel separated from their uncleanness, so they will not die of their uncleanness by their defiling my tabernacle is among them. This is a law for one with a discharge and for the man who has a seminal emission so that he is uncleaned by it, and for the woman who is ill because of menstruational impurity, and for the one who is discharged for the male or female, or any lives unclean woman. So this, in these three verses, 31, 32, and 33, it breaks about all multiple categories. We have the seminal discharge being discussed, the abnormal or the, the continuous discharge being discussed, we have the menstrual flow being discussed, we have uh, the, 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 and then the abnormal flow being distru- discussed, of course, a male lying with a female during her flow time period as well. They're all broken up in different sections, all have to do, mostly, it's not all, most of them do with, with reproduction or that, that general area of our body. Hope it makes sense so far. That's pretty much the category regarding cycles, uh, whether it's emissions, 
or um, childbearing, things of that nature, of how our Torah seems to view these topics and groups them together accordingly. So for the, hope the questions about that topic. Because I'm moving past our... You want to uh, check in with some of the people on the phone? Go right ahead. Anyway, yeah. So the phone got a question about re- the reproduction. Anne, Myrna, do you have any questions or comments? Mm-hmm. Uh, no. no. Thank you. Okay. So next... Okay. Now our next topic. So move on. So Leviticus uh, 13 and 14... Discuss as much for leprosy or a type of cleansing for leper. Now, I realize our Eng- our English translation uses the word leper. It doesn't have to be a leper. There can be other type of skin diseases. Um, we've discussed this in the past. There are f- certain forms of eczema or psoriasis that, that, that will be included in this category. There are certain categories, obviously, that other rashes are supposed to be part of this as far as how you're examining them. You may have some type of, of a rash. This is assuming that you do not have a, a logical explanation. For example, let's say someone gets a spider bite. Yeah, spider bites are not grouped in here. They, they generally category is, okay, we know what the cause was. Spider bite, keep an eye on it. Or so like insect bite, keep an eye on it. But don't confuse them with leprosy or some struck, striking judgment about, from God. Now, I, as before, I do not understand all the explanations, the descriptions, words given. Uh, I'll just be honest with you. Uh, greens and reds, I realize that the reds can be also inclusive of dark browns because the word red is not exclusive to just the bright red color. I don't know all the natures of them, so I will not try to explain their diseases. Uh, it's not within my privy, so I imagine if God just so, chose to tell me, I would tell you, but since he has not, I'm not in that area. May I but you don't want to break the mold? <laughs> yes uh it, 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 yes mold is one of them would be would be inclusive in this category obviously you usually have mold on your skin but you have mold in, in obviously usually yeah, clothing or your house or other utensils you may have mold on them which would be inclusive in the same area you have to watch those out as well so i'll discuss instead of uh, all the different diseases and possibilities of what they may include I'm going to say simple that what the Bible talks about regarding how God uses these diseases. Um, I, I, I know it's an uncomfortable topic. We think about it, but reality is these are God's tools. And there are some who believe that diseases are strictly just happenstance. And some believe that God gives them to you. Our Torah seems to give explanation, or sorry, not Torah, includes the entire Bible, for that matter. It's not as well as the Testament seems to include that diseases are not strictly by happenstance. Some may be, but not necessarily. Some of them are actually given by God uh, for certain applications, certain needs to correct us. For those of you who have experienced it in your personal life, you may have consumed some food items for many years and have some massive disease that slowly grew out of that and had problems with it. And you realize, oh, wait, that's an unclean thing. I shouldn't be eating that. And you stop eating it. And over time, hopefully, those diseases may have diminished. Uh, you got better. It's called eating healthier. But there's also. Oh, you hit that right off the bat. <laughs> so we all learn this. Like, wait a minute. There's, uh, there's things which cause problems. And God says, yes, I did make disease. Shockingly enough, God made the viruses and the bacteria too, not just humans. And uh, all those viruses and all those bacteria and all those moles, he made every single one of them. We think, but how could God do such a thing? He's God. Reality is, he's not dumb. He's make a mistake. 
those diseases are, are a very useful tool in teaching us things. I don't know about you personally, but me personally, in my, my own life, um, I'll respond quickly to something that hurts me. So, for example, cut my arm off and say, ow, I may, be, I may not go back and do that again because I got my arm cut off. Uh, so something that hurts me and affects me directly, I will respond quickly to. And I believe diseases are similar. That uh, when they affect you and they say, hey, I'm not feeling well, I'm sick, something is wrong. It's supposed to be wrong. Therefore, go find out what it is and fix it. So diseases are a tool of God, not just a happenstance of life in this fallen world that's most commonly referred to. He actually uses them to teach us and instruct us. So these leper notes, leprosy notes, I will mostly discuss them as, as if they are leprosy, but it's not exclusive to leprosy. Other diseases are included in it. So, uh, the beginning of our leprosy discussion discusses that God is in power of it. Now, I'm not saying leprosy is not a spreading disease. They can spread from person to person, for that God has power over this disease. So, our primary introduction to leprosy came from, or comes from Moses. So, in Exodus chapter 4, uh, verse 6 and 7, Yavah shows Moses, and of course, the Israelites later, because he, he tells Moses, make sure you show these signs to Israel, the Israelites in particular, regarding this, regarding the, the snake, that the steps into a snake, regarding this hand uh, leprosy thing, as well as the blood, water turning into blood. So in verse, in Exodus chapter 4, this is our introduction to leprosy, uh, in verse 6 says, the Lord furthermore said to him, now put your hand into your bosom. So he put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then he said, put your hand into your bosom again. So he put his hand into his bosom again, and when he took it out of his bosom, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Now, in this example, we see that Jehovah can decide when and where to use leprosy. But now, mind you, this time it's a fearful disease, because this time in history, for Moses, they don't have a tenth of the of, of the understanding about bacteria and disease and viruses alone that we have now, just due to the fact we have microscopes, sees a whole lot of stuff. A lot of the things we that we have found and tools that taught us about things. In this case, diseases were not if you couldn't see it, typically we didn't know what it was. So what caused they couldn't see bacteria, though they had a general idea because they learned about soap pretty early on. But what caused diseases was unknown. So it's a very fearful disease, a leprosy. It's not something, oh, I'll just go wash it off and it'll get better. It doesn't work that way. You have leprosy, you're as good as a dead man walking. So it's a very fearful disease. It is, it is a life and death matter. So you want, it, says, it, it is important to note that Pharaoh, that Pharaoh who's going to, who's going to be the recipient of some of these, these plagues God's planning on, was the one to receive a death, the way the death of his this firstborn son, which is used in your right hand, so to speak, which is also, in my opinion, symbolic of Moses' hand. That's my opinion, by the way. The Moses' hand with the leprosy of his hand, and that this is going to be judgments upon Egypt, was also going to affect Pharaoh's right hand, which, of course, would be his son. Pharaoh is known for his arrogance, which is also his unbelief or his hard-heartedness. Uh, that's his his category of what he was most known for. The, his, heart, his heart was hardened, or kept re-hardening his heart. And we understand that hardened heart from previous time and other examples in the Bible, a hardened heart is an unbelieving heart or an arrogant person, or a presumptuous individual. And so this is this, this hand image that we get from Moses. Is that, so God has power in this leprosy 
he gave it to Moses and he took it away from Moses by just simply the hand. And that it is shows the power that this great fearful disease is all within God's control. So it is said that God has the power to give as well as take it away. Not saying he always does, but he has the power to do so. It's important to understand our understanding of leprosy and the tool that it is in God's hand. No pun intended. The next primary example of leprosy, of course, comes from Miriam and Aaron. Now, in Numbers chapter 12, Numbers 12 discusses Miriam and Aaron. They're having this conversation amongst themselves. Now, this is behind Moses' back. So, meaning Moses is not aware of or does not appear to be aware of what they're talking about. But Miriam and Aaron do something and they talk about something in Numbers 12. Numbers 12, it says, Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. Now, the man Moses was very humble, more than any other man who was on the face of the earth. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, You three come to the tent of meeting. So the three of them came out, and the Lord came down a pillar of cloud and stood in the doorway of the tent of meeting. He called Aaron and Miriam, and they both had come forward. He said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly in dark and dark sayings. And he, if he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? Pause for a minute. So these first, uh, first eight verses or so sets the stage and points out Miriam and Aaron believe in verse two that the God speaks then too, did not just through Moses, they're just as good or just as equal or similar in value as Moses. And he, as he pointed out verse two, he's not spoken to us too. And of course, the Lord heard it said in the Lord explains that is not true. Miriam and Aaron, you are not equal to Moses. You are not as a position as he is in. I said to Moses face to face and you, of course, and everybody else as we through dreams or visions. So it's interesting to note that Miriam and Aaron to have raised themselves up as equal or similar to in value to Moses, so much so they could speak and judge against him uh, in regard to this Christian woman that he has married, his wife. So they have raised themselves up, which is interesting. It's not that much different than Pharaoh, whose hardened heart raised himself up and believing that he did not believe in God and believed in himself or his own gods. So it's actually a similar nature of raising yourself up. In the case of Miriam and Aaron, they condemn or were judging Moses. It, they believe, in, believe that they are equal to or at similar value. Now, as contrast here, it specifies that Moses, however, was the opposite. He was very humble. So he himself did not raise himself up to anyone or above anyone, but rather was more humble than all. So therefore, he, Moses viewed himself as very low, while Miriam and Aaron viewed themselves as raised themselves up to be high. It's interesting as far as a swap of how who was high and who was low. So continuing on in Numbers 12 in verse 9, uh, God uses a leprosy tool as a correction for Miriam and Aaron, or more specifically for Miriam. So in Numbers chapter 12, verse 9, it says, So the anger of the Lord burned against them and departed, 
But when the cloud had withdrawn from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous as white as snow. As Aaron turned toward Miriam, behold, she was leprous. Then Aaron said to Moses, O my Lord, I beg you, do not account this sin to us, in which we have acted foolishly and in which we have sinned. O do not let her be like one dead, whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes from his mother's womb. Behold, Moses uh, cried out to the Lord, saying, O God, heal her, I pray. Lord said to Moses, if her father had spit in her face, would she not bear her shame for seven days? Shut up for seven days outside the camp, and afterwards she may be received again. So Miriam was shut up outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move on until Miriam was received again. After, however, the people moved out from Hetzerot and camped the wilderness of Paran. So in the latter half of Numbers chapter 12, we, just, we see how God dealt with and was brought Miriam actually extremely low, and that not only Miriam and Aaron too, but Miriam more specifically, were you not as equal as Moses? Not only that, you were actually brought so low, you were kicked out of the whole camp as one who was rejected and not part of the camp of God, the people of God, which is very interesting. So she sent out for the seven-day period. And Aaron explains here very clearly, in verse 12, that there be like one is dead, whose flesh is half eaten away because of the mother's womb. He explains very thoroughly that this is an extremely deadly and dangerous and, and, and consuming disease. She understands that, that she is now literally cast off as if one who is dead. Essentially, in many ways, she kind of is. So now we this is frequently cited, this chapter, as a form of Miriam's gossip. Now, I won't say she wasn't gossiping. She does. She spoke against Moses. But the nature of her gossiping, the motive behind it, appeared to be a, an elevation of herself and Aaron to be equal to or similar value to Moses. So through she lifted herself up, essentially, along with Aaron with her. I, I'm assuming she's the primary culprit because she's the one who received the, 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 the biggest corrections was Aaron. Lifted herself up and bringing, at the same time, lowering Moses down as if that she could correct him or, or, or judge him or condemn him for something he has done. And now Moses himself was already very low, but he's already very humble. And God points out that Miriam, you're incorrect. You cannot lift yourself up to be equal to or of similar value to Moses. You are not in this position to do so. Therefore, I'm going to lower you and lower you very, very low, so much so that you are considered equivalent to or similar to one who is dead. That she didn't actually die, but she's treated like one in the form of she's kicked out. Now, I'm assuming, doesn't this explain this in Numbers 12? I'm assuming that when she came back in, she probably went the same Leviticus, you know, chapter 14 cleansing process. But I do not know. It doesn't explain me. It doesn't spell exactly what she process went through for cleansing. Either way, it was obviously a tool that God used to literally shut her up out of the camp, as well as verbally. Our second introduction to, or not introduction, second uh, stepping stone for God using uh, leprosy as a corrective tool for one who lifts themselves up. It comes from 2 Chronicles 26. In 2 Chronicles 26, there's a, a famous king, a very good man, by the way. He did a lot of great things. He tried to improve the educational system as far as people understanding God throughout the land of Judah. He did, he did a fairly good job, far more than most kings did. But in 2 Chronicles 26, discuss a man, a king called Uzziah. He's named Azariah in, 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 in the Book of Kings. 
but in Chronicles it calls him Uzziah. He lifted himself up to be equal to a priest. Now, this is not unlike what Miriam did with Moses. Miriam lifted herself up so she could judge Moses. Well, Uzziah here in 2 Chronicles 26, in verse 16 to 21, Uzziah lifts himself up to be equal to a priest. Of course, Moses wasn't a priest, but still, a priest were not the same as kings. God had separated kings and priests out. In this case, Uzziah lifted himself up to be equal to a priest. So in 2 Chronicles 26, verse 16, it says, But when he, referring to Uzziah, became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God, for he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Then Azariah, the priest, entered after him, and with him eighty priests of the Lord, valiant men. They opposed Uzziah the king and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful and will have no honor for the Lord God. But Uzziah, with a censer in his hand for burning incense, was enraged. And while he was enraged, the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord, beside the altar of the incense. Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous on his forehead. They hurried him out of there, and he hastened also himself to get out, because the Lord had smitten him. King Uzziah was a leper the day of his death. He lived in a separate house, being a leper, to cut off from the house of the Lord. And Jonathan, his son, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. So in this example, King Uzziah, what did he do? He lifted himself up as if he could offer incense as priests do. He can't do that. He is king, but he is not a high priest or any kind of priest. But he believed himself to be, because he did all those great things, and God was blessed in the work previously, that he would be able to or allowed to offer incense to his God. He can't. He tried to raise himself up. So clearly there's another tool God used that you cannot raise yourself or put yourself in a position that you were not given. In this case, Uzziah, you were not given the priesthood. Therefore, don't try to take it for yourself. You can't do that. Much like Miriam, you cannot take yourself, make yourself equal to Moses. Uzziah, you can't make yourself equal to a priest. You're not. Accept this. And here is a way, a method to bring it down. The other thing you chose to bring it down is leprosy. That's as low as you can go without killing the man. It just is. You are cast away from people. You are isolated beyond anybody's connection at all. You are truly all by yourself. You essentially are a dead person for all practical purposes. In, not physically dead, but spiritually dead. And then you're isolated in the history of Uzziah for the rest of his life. That is a very lowly position to be when a man who thought he was so high to be as equal to a priest and king. He was brought low to where he, even his kingdom was essentially taken away from him. Jonathan's son took over the kingdom for the reigning of his life. So even his kingdom, even the position he was in, so not only was he brought lower than he than he tried to be, he was either brought even lower than he once was, all the way down from kingdom to virtual death. So God, again, used to a leprosy as a corrective or a tool to educate and say, hey, do not lift yourself up. It is not for you to lift yourself up. It is for God to lift you up. There's not the only examples. Naaman, the most famous example of leprosy. We all like the story of Naaman because it's interesting and fascinating and funny. Um, so Naaman was, this is recorded in 2 Kings, book of 2 Kings, chapter 5, discuss the story of Naaman and Gehazi. Now, 
These are two different men, the same story. So you have uh, Naaman, of course, the first part of the chapter, and then Gehazi's the latter half, the latter portion of the chapter discussing the details uh, regarding this leprosy. Now, in here, I don't have the entire uh, script copied over because it's really lengthy. So I, I will, I will uh, read it uh, out of my Bible instead of just listening here. So this is 2 Kings 5, verses 1 through 19. Now Naaman, commanded the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. The Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back a captive, a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who was in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who was from the land of Israel. The king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. She departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter, that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive? That this man sends a man to me to heal him from his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks to quarrel with me. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he will know that I, there is a prophet in Israel. When Naaman went to his, with his horses and his chariot, and he stood at the door of the house of Elisha, Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go, wash the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, like, and you shall be clean. And Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hands over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the uh, Abana and the Fokar uh, rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be cleaned? So he turned and went away in a rage. His servants came near and spoke to him, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. He was clean. He returned the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him, and he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But he said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. He urged him to take it, but he refused. So Naaman said, then, if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offering or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. Yet in this may the Lord pardon your servant. My master goes in the temple of Rimon to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow down in the temple of Rimon. When I bow down the temple of Rimon, the Lord, please pardon your servant in this thing. He said to him, go in peace. So departed from there a short distance. We're we'll stop there for a minute. 
There's a few details about the story I want to talk about that's uh, important to note. First of all, Naaman was a very important man. He was not a king, the captain of the army, and he, as it lists here in uh, verse, well, verse 1 2, uh, he was a great man with his master and highly respected because by him the Lord, Jehovah, had given victory to Aram, or Syria. This is important to note. So God, our God, gave victory to a non-Israelite nation known as Aram, or as Syria. Now, mind you, uh, your Bible is confusing at times. Syria, when you say Aram, you can have multiple different places that are called Aram. This particular one is referring to one the closest to Syria, uh, which is Syria, sorry, close to Israel, which is Syria. We call it modern-day Syria, uh, with Damascus and such. But uh, if there are other areas or two other places that are also Syrians. Don't confuse it with a Syrian. A Syria is a different nation, different tribe, different country. But Syria itself is broken into three different categories. This is one that's closest to them. So the Lord had given him victory, helped, helped the Syrians out. It does not explicitly state which victory they're referring to, or as how many. But a little girl from the land of Israel, who they took on a raid of Israel. This is interesting. So Syria was always or continuously at war with the northern tribes of Israel. Not, mind you, Judah, the northern tribes of Israel, they were continuously at war back and forth, back and forth. So in this captain of northern tribe of Israel's great enemy, uh, he, they receive or he takes a young woman from, a young girl from northern Israel, makes a slave out of her. So it is, it is interesting to know the dynamic between these two countries, two peoples. They greatly dislike one another, but God blessed Syria in this matter, in, in many matters, actually. We can ask ourselves, why would God bless an enemy of Israel against Israel? Why would God bless Syria against Israel? Why wouldn't he bless Israel? Why wouldn't he bless God's people? Why is he blessing a foreigner? Well, because... Israel, the northern tribes, were not actually following God anymore. Some were, most were not. They, they had been progressively going further and further away. Mind you, this is after King Ahab. This is after the, the, the really bad kings had come, and now they're just getting worse and worse as time goes on. Now, we don't know which king this happens to be above Israel right now at the time just when this event occurs. Most it's obviously after King Ahab, so it's either likely to be either King Ahab's son or possibly Jehu, one of his sons. They were all alive during Elisha's time period, so we don't know which one it was. But this is the time period which, which about it happens, and uh, it also doesn't specify which who the king of, uh, of Aram is this time. But the chapter before and after is Ben Hadad is the king of Aram, so it's probably shortly after Ahab's death or near the time of Ahab's death. Or could be so it goes like they have a son. Anyhow, the point is you have a, a foreigner coming that God has blessed him in his efforts against other countries, including Israel, and blessed them in their attacking of and conquering Israel, which you find counterintuitive, but that's what God has done. And he's the one who's needing help. And of course, this girl who was a slave says, Well, helping her master, uh, go to Israel and go get yourself healed. Which is an interesting concept that the slave is helping her, helping her master or her slave owner. But that's, what, that's what's happening. So in this instance, Naman comes. Now, Naman being very high, how low do you think he has to go 
mentally, emotionally, spiritually, being the, the captain of the king's army of Aram to go beg for healing from the Israel, his enemy and his people who he conquers, begging for help and trying to pay them to fix him. That in itself brings someone relatively low. You're going to your subordinate saying, please help me, fix me, because I'm, I'm, I'm being greatly affected. But that wasn't good enough, meaning that he has to go even lower than that. He winds up going all the way down to Elisha's house with his horse chariot. So he has his whole entourage with him. The other way, I don't know how many chariots he has, but he's got clearly more than one. How many horses he has? Clearly more than one. It, it, there's a small army or small raid is with him. The raid, raiding party is with him. He goes all over the house of Elisha, but Elisha doesn't even come out and see him. So you have this great commander of a foreign army that can wipe out, theoretically, your home or your country or, or that had, had God has blessed and defeated Israel multiple times. He's coming to Elisha's house. Elisha says, yeah, no, I'm looking to see this guy. He's not, not, he's not worth my visit. Now, mind you, Elisha would visit sometimes with the kings of Israel, but he won't visit with this guy. This guy's not, 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 not important enough, it would, it would imply. Well, more accurately, he's not humble enough. So instead, Elisha sends out, not through himself, but through a messenger, some servant. You go talk to this, 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 this Gentile, this, this Naman. And this is what's interesting, is that the servant goes out and tells him, go wash your own seven times, your flesh will be clean. Naman was mad because he realized, wait a minute, the Jordan River? The Jordan River is a pathetic river. I'll just be honest with those who have who've been there. It has its, its high points, but we, or we, it's good days. But reality is, for the most part, it is, it is really small. And frequently it's muddy. It's not always clean. And so if you're going to go cleanse yourself, it's like, for example, but I, I have the Russian River out here you know, past my house. We live near, near Rivers 2. We know the Russian River has diseases in it. Well, try going to the Russian River when it's mostly stagnant. When diseases grow, it's pretty nasty. You wouldn't want to go bathing in that. So in the mom's case, he looked at this and excuse me, you want me to go bathe in that mess? That's disgusting. There are better, cleaner rivers over in Damascus. And there are, there are bigger ones. He even cites out two of these. Damascus actually has much, or had at the time, much larger areas and cleaner green areas than Israel does. He points out that I am not going to bring myself that low, so low to bathe in that muddy, disgusting water. It's not worth it. So because he goes off being angry, he's not willing to go down that low. But his servants point out, hey, if you ask something great, you'd have done it. So this is even lower and simpler. You should do it too. Now, this is where I find interesting. Your Bibles use the word dip or dipped. Um, tabal, the Hebrew word tabal. Tabal is the Hebrew word for baptize. So in reality, it is the Hebrew Now, we, we don't confuse them with... Uh, uh, mikvah. Mikvah is the is the tub or the container which you may baptize yourself in. It's not the actual act of being baptized. Uh, to ball or to baptize is the act of actually going in the water and coming all the way back out again. And that, that's truly, and it truly means going all the way in and coming all the way back out. It doesn't mean like, oh, I, I dug my head over three, seven times. He had to go all in the water, all the way back out of the water. Then all the way in the water again. That's what tabal means. The, 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 the process of going from a dry person to a fully wet person is a process of tabal, to baptize. 
So he has to go all these times. He goes down and he baptized himself seven times Jordan River. And when the word of man and God, his flesh restored with the flesh of a child who has become clean. So Namad had to bring himself all the way down from commander of the greatest army at that time in Syria against Israel, bring himself down to the level of the king of Israel. Okay, I'm begging you. You are my servant, essentially, but I'm begging you to help. I'll even pay you for it. Not only that, you have to go lower than that, go down to the level of the non-commander, the prophet Elisha, but that wasn't low enough. Go down to Elisha's servant who would speak to him, but yet that still wasn't low enough. Now go all the way down to a muddy, disgusting river and wash yourself in that river because that river is going to make you clean. Afterward, he's restored and comes back and says, hey, I am now clean. And we can return, this is uh, verse 15, on in, uh, in 2 Kings 5. Verse 15 says, When he returned to Benagog and all his company, he came and stood before him, heard Elisha. Now Elisha will speak to him. So at this point, Elisha would not speak to him directly, but now that Naaman has brought himself down low, as down into the dirty, muddy river, now you are now worthy of Elisha's presence to actually talk to you directly. You brought yourself, you humbled yourself low enough. Uh, now, this verse 15. Uh, Behold, now I know there is no God in all the earth but in Israel, so please take a present from your servant. That's now interesting that when you when he's paying, trying to pretending to pay Elisha, Elisha won't take that. But when you were receiving payment, you were being yourself lifted up. Elisha doesn't want that. He's not going to lift himself up, not to receive payment from the man. And verse 16 says, But he said, As the Lord lives, for I stand, I will take nothing. Here's Jacob, but he refused. So, uh, in the Mon said, if, if not, this is another interesting section. Note, I personally believe the Mon was a lot more knowledgeable about the God of Israel than is led to believe because of verse 17 and 18 and 19. More in particular, the Mon was not, in, not, not a fool or, an un, or ignorant regarding his enemies. The Mon says, if not, please let your servant at least be given to meal those earth. Your servant would no longer offer burnt offering, nor be sacrificed to other gods, but to the Lord. Stop there for a minute. So, Naman has prior knowledge if he's making this statement. He has some prior knowledge that, uh, first of all, that earth is an important component in an altar to God, and not just any earth, but the earth of Israel, because that comes from Exodus 20. So Exodus 20 discusses that God says, when you make an earth, an altar of earth, you will make it, that's what you will offer there on this altar of earth. Naman understands that somewhat obscure commandment that you'll use altar of earth to make an altar, you earth to make sacrifice to God. Not only does he understand that about the God of Israel, he also stands this verse 18 and said, in this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. My master goes to the house of Ramon to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow myself to the house of Ramon. When I bow myself to the house of Ramon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. So, Naman also knows that in the land of Israel, the God of Israel, that you are not to bow before another image or another God. So, he knows both those commandments already regarding the people of Israel. Now, we could argue that maybe his servant girl told him, or whatever, it doesn't make a difference. The point is, he knows them. So he has prior knowledge of this particular God, which is interesting because even the people of Israel were not adherents to that. Even the citizens of Israel, not, not referring to, to Judah, referring to northern tribes of Israel, they were had long, many of them had long since abandoned God. And they were worshiping idols. And 
that was not, it was, it was a common thing to worship any God you can think of for that matter. But Naaman understood, no, 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 I know what your God commands. I know he commands you to not, to make an earthen, earthen uh, vessel, or earthen altar. In Exodus 20, it discusses this topic, uh, both topics actually, that, that Naaman already knows about. Exodus 20, in verse 4 through 6, this is one of the Ten Commandments, says, you should not make yourself an idol in likeness of it in heaven, above the earth beneath, and water under the earth. You should not worship them to serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, and visit the iniquity of the fathers of the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, by showing loving kindness to thousands of those who love me through my commandments. So in that idea that you're not to, to, to make yourself an idol, like this in heaven, or worship it, so you understand that you are, he is not to bow down. So he understands, the man understands he was a commander of the Syrian army, not Israel, not Israelites, not a descendant of Israel, as far as we can tell. He is not to worship any of the gods. So he already knows that about this particular god. That's more than half of Israel knew at this time. Exodus 20, going down to verse 23, same chapter of Exodus 20, says, which for these 23 says, you shall not make other gods besides me, gods of silver, gods of gold, you shall not make for yourselves. Verse 24, you shall make an altar of earth for me, and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings, your peace offerings, your sheep, your oxen, your plate, right, positive, and remembered. I will come to you and bless you. So even asking of his dirt to make an altar, he himself understands that God wants an altar of earth, and this is how you will do it with me, as opposed to commandeering some other altar. He just gone over and back to says, I'll, I'll take a altar number 87 associated to God 43 through 82, and I'll just remove the gods and stick up a new name on there, like Israel did. No, no, no. He knew better than that. I will start new from fresh. I'll make an altar only dedicated to this one God. Naman was not a foolish man. He knew the God of Israel. And one of the things I like about this is that uh, he received a reward for it. If you note that in this instance, so Naman's knowledge and adherence and belief in this God, God, Messiah in the form, blessed him. In Luke chapter 4, he's even mentioned. He's mentioned inside that prophecy, now in that, that section. Luke chapter 4, Messiah himself calls Naaman out and points out something that Naaman did that the people of Israel wouldn't do. In Luke 4, verse 27, it says, this is Messiah's quote, it says, There are many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. So Messiah even names Naaman by name that he was cleansed by the Elisha prophet in the context of the fourth Luke. It points out that this is in the same section Messiah is complaining the people of Judah at the time would not accept a prophet from their people. So he contrasts the fact that Judah would not accept Messiah because, as it says, a prophet is not respected in the country they come from. That they would reject Messiah, but Naaman did not reject Elisha. And so Naaman was honored greater than, by Messiah's own words, greater than the people of his day. That is a great blessing. Naaman, who lives hundreds of years, 700 years earlier, 800 years earlier, his faithfulness, his trust, and his acceptance of Elisha the prophet and his humbling himself down, this low level and accepting this new God, was enough for Messiah himself to say, yeah, that's the kind of man I want. That's the kind of man I want following me. That's an impressive commander, impressive foreigner. So the moment received it was a very good one. The Messiah himself called him out, said, that's the kind of guy that we all should be like. 
unfortunately, it didn't, the story doesn't end there. It does for the mom. It does not end there for, for the story regarding this leprosy, which we're studying. I'm almost done here. Wow. Well, let's see. I'm trying to get here a little quicker. Gehazi, Elisha's servant. So we understand that, that, that God used leprosy to bring Miriam down low because she brought herself up above Moses. God used leprosy to bring Uzziah low. He brought himself up to be equal to a priest. God, now, Naman, who was already very high, God brought him very, very, very low and then released him from leprosy, of course, lifting him back up again to the rate of restored and being now a servant to God. Well, in this case, Gehazi does the opposite around. Gehazi is supposed to be one who already is a servant to Elisha, a believer in God, and he instead raises himself up above Naman and above Elisha. So in 2 Kings 5, it continues on in verse 20. Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, thought, Behold, my master has spared this Naman, the Aramean, by not receiving from him from his hands what he brought. As the Lord lives, I'll run after him and take something from him. Pause there for a minute. So Gehazi just realized Elisha did not receive or take anything from him. So he spared him. Elisha did not make them on pain for anything. So Gehazi obviously disagrees with Elisha's assessment. And I will overrule or be above Elisha and make a different judgment call. And I will make Naman, who, mind you, was already brought low to the Jordan River. I make Naman pay, bring him down lower. And Gehazi, of course, being the recipient, will raise Gehazi up over Naman. And of course, he already ruled himself above Elisha by disagreeing with his, with his master's uh, command. Verse 21 says, So Gehazi pursued Naman. When Naman saw one running after him, he came to meet him and said, Is all well? He said, All is well. My master sent me, saying, Behold, just now, two young men, the son of the prophets, have come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two chains of clothes. Well, I said, please be pleased to take two talents. He urged me, bound two talents of silver in two bags of two chains of clothes and gave them to two of his servants. They carried them before him. And when he came to the hill, he took them from their hands and deposited them in the house. They sent them away, the men away. They departed. They went in and stood before his master. Elisha said to him, where have you been, Gehazi? He said, your servant went to nowhere. They said to him, did not my heart go with you? When the man turned from his chariot to meet you, is it time to receive money and receive clothes and olive groves and vineyards and sheep and oxen and male and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. So went off his presence as a leper, as white as snow. So Gehazi, who had lifted himself up over Elisha by disagreeing with his judgment and trying to circumvent it, and over Naman by making Naman pay for it, of course, lying to him in the process, uh, and deceiving everybody in the process, lying to both Naman, both Naman as well as, uh, as Elisha, then he can get away, get away with it. God said, okay, Gehazi, you lift yourself up. Now, just like Miriam, just like Uzziah, I'm bringing you low, all the way down to near death. The point the closest to death you can get without you dying is being a leper as white as snow. So God uses the leprosy a tool of swapping people who are high Bring them down low, people who are low, lift them up. The who are low and lift them up is written in 2 Kings uh, chapter 6, the very following chapter. I'm going to go through the, 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 this, well, this a little, I'm going to show this a little faster because I'm out of time already. Um, these are the, the four lepers that saved the city of, of uh, Samaria. This is the same king that the Mon works for, by the way. Uh, in 
Second Kings chapter six, verse twenty-four through chapter seven, verse twenty is the whole story that goes on through here. I'm gonna read certain parts of it, not all of it, because I'm short on time. Second Kings chapter six, verse twenty-four says, "It came to pass unto this of these events, uh, Ben Hadad, king of Aram, this Naaman's king, is his master, gathered all of his went up and besieged Samaria. There was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, the besieged him until donkey's head was sold for eighty shekels of silver." and a fourth of a cob of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. So this is obviously a very severe uh, plague, or uh, famine. Jump down to chapter 7. It says, Elijah said, Listen to the word of the Lord. Thus says, Tomorrow about this time, a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel. In the gate of Samaria, the royal officer on whose hand the king was leaning answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? Then he said, Behold, you will see with your own eyes, but you will not eat of it. So the royal guard, the belongs to the king of Samaria, disagrees or doesn't believe uh, Elisha's comments, his prophecies. Uh, now, of course, now comes the lepers. Verse 3, it says, Now there were four lepers men that entered the gate, and they said to one another, Why do we sit here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we will die there. We say, well, if we will sit here, we will die also. And therefore, come, let us go over the camp of the Arameans. If they spare us, we'll live. If they kill us, we'll just but die. Now, in this verse 3 and 4 of 2 Kings 6, or 7, it's interesting that the, the, the lepers understand that they are at the lowest of all low people. They'll die there from leprosy. They'll die there from starvation. They're not allowed in the city. They'll die there because of no food. So we've got nothing to lose. We are at the bottom end of life. We are ready to die because there's nothing to lose by dying because we're already going to die anyway. At this point, they realize they are as low as can be. Now, this is contrast to the royal guard who Elisha, who, mind you, Elisha was about to be killed previously uh, for his, uh, because of his famine. The, the guard was about to kill him. I, assume, I don't know if it's the same guard, but at least a guard. Anyhow, so this is, Elijah, the royal guard was relatively high and leaned the king's hand. But they're the same position that Naman held. The king's hand would lean on Naman. In this case, this royal guard is the same position Naman holds, but this royal guard does not view this prophecy as being acceptable, that it would be wrong. He doesn't believe it. He's hard-hearted. Leper rose, verse 5, and go to find the camp of Arameans. When they came to the house of the camp, the Arameans, behold, there was no one there. The Lord had caused the army of the Arameans to hear a sound of chariots and a sound of horses and the sound of a great army. They said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel is hired against the kings of the Hittites, the king of the Egyptians, come upon us. They rose by the twilight and left their tents, their horses, their donkeys, even the camp, just as it was, and fled for their lives. Now this is fascinating. Verse 5 and verse 7. Both, so the lepers, who were the lowest of low, they're all expected they're going to die. They go off, and now the Arameans, because they go off at twilight, the same exact time the Arameans see, wait a minute, we have this massive army coming. So Arameans, Syrians, see these lepers, they don't see them physically, but spiritually see them as if they are the great kings of the Hittites and the Egyptians with chariots and horses. So they are hearing and seeing this great army, and in fact, it's just four lepers. So in this, the, the Arameans' viewpoint, these four lowly individuals, which they in fact are very, very low near death, are as if they are the highest of high, so high that you run away and we, we should flee from them. So these lepers were brought up very, very high in the viewpoint of the Arameans. They were perceived as being horses and great army through God's work, great chariots. So God raised the lepers up 
in the Syrians' eyes, making them as if they were chariots and horsemen. So the lepers, of course, come out of the camp. They enter one tent, ate and drank, ate gave their silver and gold and clothes and hid them. They returned into another one, did the same thing, and hid them. Whether what we were doing is not right. This is a day of good, day of good news. We we're keeping it silent. Wait till morning, punishment will, will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let's go and tell the king's household. They came and called the gatekeepers of the city and told them, saying, We come to camp, the Arameans. Behold, there's no, no one there. With the voice of man, only horses tied and donkeys tied, the tents left as they were. So now these four lepers, who were the lowest possible, raised up as high as you can get in the Arameans' army, now come back and save the whole city of Samaria. Jumping down to verse 16. Uh, uh, Let's see, verse, uh, oh, right. So then the people uh, went out and plundered the camp of the Arameans. A measure of fine flour was sold for shekel, two measures of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. The king appointed the royal officer on whose hand he leaned to have charred the gate. The people trampled on him at the gate, and he died just as the man of God had said, who spoke for the king came to him. It happened just the man of God had spoken to the king, saying, Two measures of barley for a shekel, and a measure of fine flour for a shekel. We sold tomorrow, but this time the gate of Samaria. And the royal officer answered man, saying, Now behold, the Lord should make the word of heaven, could such thing be. And he said, Behold, you will see with your own eyes, but you will not eat of it. And so it happened to him, the people trampled him on the gate as he died. So this man of this, this royal guard, who should have been very high, was killed at the same gate the lepers were waiting there to die for. So God basically just swapped the leper's position to the, the guard's position. So guard was brought as if the lepers were, and he actually did die. The lepers who were near death were raised up to be equal to chariots and horsemen and saved the whole city, which is what you would normally think of as a guard or a great man would do. So God used leprosy in this story, as well as, of course, the starvation process. But the nature of leprosy, he used it as an example of how something who was brought very, 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 very low can be raised very, 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 very high at the same time. Someone who is very high can also brought down very, very low into the point of death. Um, I'm going to not be able to go beyond the lepers. I don't have time to go through the, the healing process um, as far as the cleansing thing today, so I apologize. I'm just out of time. Uh, the, the last section of lepers, which we'll read, this last story we'll discuss, is in Luke 17. Luke 17 discusses the Messiah's healing of lepers. In this case, it's 10 of them. So Luke 17 and verse 11 says, While he, for the Messiah, was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered the village, ten leprous men who stood at the entrance, sorry, stood at the distance, met him. They raised their voice, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. As they're going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, Giving thanks to him, he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed, but nine, but the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And they said to him, Stand up, go, your faith has made you well. Just like Naman, this person is a Samaritan. He is not an Israelite. He is not a follower of the Bible, so to speak, in the form of what we think of the Torah at all. Uh, he is a mixture, a funky blend of, of various people's groups. He is a foreigner, and Messiah Puente is a foreigner. So just like Naman being a foreigner, the foreigner understood what was right and gave glory to proper God, to Jehovah, to God, as well as our Messiah's feet. 
the foreigner understood it, but the other nine, who we presume may not have been foreigners, they still may not have been, did not. They did not understand the value or the, 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 the source of their salvation, their, their, their secureness, their, their, their restoration. So these lepers, we, we see the examples that leprosy is used for multiple applications in our, our Bibles. One is used for humbling, one who has lifted himself up in his own eyes, or in the same process, lowering someone else, like Miriam lowered Moses. The other application for leprosy is related to the, the, the humble leper, someone who is humble, a very low leper, is redeemed by lowering himself and raising others up as more valuable than him. So he, leprosy apparently is a tool God uses to exchange one who is high to bring the one who is low, and one who is low, lowering up to bring him back up to high again. So it is a tool that God has used. I'm not saying it's the only thing God does, but leprosy is a very good example, which we as humans will follow and pay very close attention to, both like most diseases, but that affect our direct body. It's a, it's a big impact on us. Uh, hopefully it makes sense regarding leprosy. The cleansing of the leper, which I won't have time to cover today, the cleansing process is tied to Yom Kippur. It is tied to Passover. It is tied to the priesthood. It is tied to the Nazarite vow. And equally important tied to baptism. So cleansing the leper within the house, God has blended together elements from Yom Kippur and Passover and the priesthood and Nazareth vow and baptism all in one. This is the process which the leper is cleansed, which is interesting because most of these have to do with bringing yourself very low and being yourself in servitude. Um, the Yom Kippur, you, you obviously were a sinner of some form. This needs to be covered. So Yom Kippur elements are brought into the, the leprous cleansing process. The Passover parts are brought in the leprous cleansing process. Uh, being a priesthood, which supposed to be a servant, are also brought in. So all the nature of the leper and the cleansing process has to do with making one which once was full of sin or full of transgression or full of ungodliness, bringing them down, which is now full of, bring down lower, which is now clean, uh, which is holy, which is right, which is good. And Baptism, of course, included in that. Note, I use the term baptism because if you note that I mentioned before, Nabal, sorry, Naman baptizes himself in the Jordan River. We use the word Tabal. That's the same word the high priests use to baptize the, the bird and the scarlet thread and the, the, the hyssop and the cedar wood. They are baptizing Tabaling them. They're baptizing them into the, the, the bloody water of the bird. And the, the baptizing of the, the seven times that to do this, and baptizing of the oil, the thumbnail oil, seven times. So it's it's no wonder that Elisha connected the cause to baptism to this healing of of, past, uh, of leper, uh, because that's where the Torah seems to attach them together. It kind of makes sense, but it's a blending of symbols. But that's pretty what what, uh, what was going on. So I'm going to call it quits. I don't want to sit there and go through. The bird hits all of these elements here. I have this written out. I can do this. I've got a whole bunch of slides here regarding baptism, the birds, and cleaning and such. But it's very lengthy. I've already been talking to you for like an hour and a half now. So any comments or questions regarding this, uh, this the, what we discussed so far, the nature of how this process was supposed to work, uh, and, uh, and, and well, basically what we discussed, basically. Yeah, Larry has his hand up. Go ahead, Larry. One of the things we learned from Torah Club that I never heard, and then many hundreds of times I've heard the story of the woman with an issue, 
uh, or, and the and the and the leper that he touched to heal is that Messiah was willing to go to that length of becoming unclean, ritually unpure, in his in his uh, love and and um, uh, what he was willing to do for us in order to save us. I never heard that. Never heard that before. It, it's an important understanding that Messiah did something that was rather unusual uh, in what he did, and that knowing full well he would be, officially speaking, contaminated by doing so, uh, and that he touched a woman who was unclean. Now, mind you, it's only unclean for up until you know, you bathe yourself, as far as the Torah is concerned. But uh, it, it, it is still an important uh, concept of what he did and how he saved these individuals and the miracles he pulled off. Uh, there. There's a lot of stuff he did that I would like to talk about regarding this topic, but it just there's there's a lot of things going on here with inside the leprosy and, and inside of the cleansing process he did, and what he was teaching. Because he, these, the, the citation of, of, of Luke uh, 17 discusses one event of leprosy being healed. It's not the only event he did. There are other he, because the, the the apostles of John ask him, "Are you the Messiah?" And he points out, "Hey, people are healed. Have lepers being cleaned." This is not a single singular event. It happens a number of times, and these different diseases that that address that that the people suffer from are individual diseases that everybody suffers from at various times of their lives, and that he brings himself down that low to do so, which I find it's an interesting concept as far as how he was being used. It's brilliant in what was written out. Uh, there's there's a lot there's a lot there. Like I said, I didn't cover everything on this this Torah portion because the cleansing process is also heavily connected to what Messiah did too. But I'm just out of time. It's it's it gets I could talk another hour on this one topic alone. It's my voice will go hoarse and you guys' ears will go deaf. But uh, anyhow, in the comments or questions regarding uh, this Torah portion, things you can yeah. Let's uh, check in with some of the people on the phone here. Myrna. Hi, uh, my, uh, my my brain is wheeling. It, it went too fast, and I've got to go back and and read more and think more about what all the all that was said. Uh, you kind of left me behind in some of it, and so uh, I learned a lot. And I need I need to go back now and, and read and compare and um, maybe have more questions as time goes by. But yeah, it it was very. Um, mind-boggling really thank you so much I, I do tend to speak really fast sometimes and i apologize for that i try to slow down but it doesn't always work uh, i get too excited to to into what i'm doing um i do have if you'd like murder actually sure anyway doesn't matter to me uh i have the powerpoint presentation i just did i can email that to you or to, to anybody for that matter uh yeah we're going to be posting that up at the summary of this thank you thank you jeff yeah, it, it's it's useful to have to just review. It's like, what what did he say? That kind of thing, or, or what was he talking about? Uh, they're, I, I find them useful. I've noticed that there's a reason why Jack uses them because <laughs> they're very helpful, keeping you on on track. Uh, my hand notes are too scribbly, but this makes more sense. But yeah, you're welcome to look through it. Uh, share it with with you on the web page or, or email it to you if need be. Uh, just look through it and see what we th- what we went through. Like I said, I didn't cover all of the. Um, all the topics they did not get to the cleansing process of the leper or the house. Uh, there's 
there's a lot to that as well. And I will sort of scratch the surface. Yeah, okay, well, question. thank you. And I will, uh, yeah, I'd like to follow up on that. Thank you. Fair enough. Sure. Well, if you have any questions or comments, sure. um, yeah, it, it, it is Anne. Yeah, it is Anne. Oh, it's not Anne? Oh, it's not Anne. I don't know who it is. Well, we'll, then we'll go ahead and uh, close it. What's that, dear? Oh, it's Pat Whitmore. That's who it is. The Hi, Pat. It's Pat Whitmore. Okay. Hey, Pat. <laughs> I, I think I'm on mute, so I don't know if you can hear me anyway. We can hear you now. No, no. Jeff just said you off mute now. Just, uh, just unmuted you, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that, if any questions or comments, uh, entertain them now as we'll go ahead and close in a prayer. I, I know there's a lot of stuff here. So I, I, this this tour portion, which is all frequently combined together, she broke it up on purpose in two separate portions. It'd be easier and cover a whole lot more detail that way without rushing through stuff. But uh, it is what it is. Yeah, I wouldn't mind your PowerPoint. <laughs> All right. Okay. So we, can, we can see what we can share. I'll, I'll, I, try, I usually email off to Jeff and uh, we can go from there. I don't have his email address, but. Uh, yeah, we can get them out to people. That's fair enough. Can All you right, post then. them on the website? He does. That we will do. He will. I see yes. Don has a question. Don. No, uh, I don't. I want them too. I was trying to. I was pushing the wrong button. I would like their PowerPoint too, if if, if I could get it. Sure, sure. They're, 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 you post all of them on the website, don't you, Jeff? Or, or yeah, or, we're, we we get them there. Yeah, okay, yeah. But yeah, we can email it too if need be. I said I need to all of it, but there's a lot there. All right, we'll go into close the prayer then. If you want to, if if uh, if you if, you, if there are other comments, I assume conclude, conclude, we'll conclude. Almighty God, our great Father, thank you for our Shabbat. Thank you for teaching us and helping us along our path. Father, please continue to help us to walk good, straight lines according to your ways. That we remain to be humble people, knowing that we are just here to serve. And we serve you and serve the people around us. May you, help, Father, bless us and help us along our way. That we may make mistakes, may falter at times. And through your kindness, will you correct us and teach us and, and guide us along the path. Father, it is your practice to be kind, your practice to be merciful to us. As you are merciful to many others, Father, may you continue to do so with us, our families, our loved ones. Help us to follow what is fair, what is just, to see our children graduate, to great graduate, the wonders of your works. We glorify you, Father, and ask your blessing in Yeshua's name. Amen. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at halel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Halel.info. Halel.info.